tonight, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned that young man, the 13-year-old boy, Stephen, and um, tonight, I, w- I was going to preach about this anyway, it just so happened that we went and visited his family today because we got word that they were going to indeed harvest his organs tomorrow. Doesn't that sound terrible? I'm, I'm so grateful he's bringing life to a lot of people, but here's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about prayer when, when uh, your world is falling apart. We're talking about prayer when things come that you can't get your mind around. We're talking about prayer when you get that phone call and it says, hey, are you sitting down? I've got bad news. And it doesn't have to be like what I'm talking about here, life and death, but it can be a lot of things. But the fact is, we as Christians, we have some Christian sayings that we have, that we use with prayer, and I think these are healthy, good things. Maybe you've heard some of these sayings, but like the Christian army marches on its knees. You've ever heard that one? Or push, push prayer, pray until something happens, or I heard this, I heard this this last week studying for tonight, but I never heard this quote by Corey Tinboom, but she says, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Isn't that interesting? She is so good. Um, but just thinking about the fact that there's times where we just use prayer when, it, when we need it, but not to guide our lives. It doesn't work like that sometimes. But there's going to be times in your life where you get one of those phone calls, and I think we all know that you should pray more. Wouldn't we agree to that? We as Christians should pray more. We know that. And we know that our life as a Christian should be a life of prayer. We know that. We, we should pray. We ought to pray more. But there's times when things happen, and as I mentioned, the phone rings. And, and you all know that we got one of those phone calls not too long ago when Grace had a car accident, and thank God she was okay. You know, she's still seeing a chiropractor. She's still in pain, but she's fine. She's going to be fine. But we got that call, and it's that moment where Nicole said, Grace is fine, but, and you just thought, oh, my Lord, what happened? Is everybody else okay? Is there, and there was nobody else involved, and it was just a car. But there's times when you get a phone call or something and you find that there's a failed exam or a test came back positive or your granddaughter's sick or somebody goes to jail or you get a summons or you're being sued or a friendship ends suddenly or there's a suicide or you discover there's another woman or another man and all time stops and you realize at that moment life will never be the same. I don't know if you've had any moments like that. Or maybe you've walked through someone who's experienced a moment like that, but it happens. And you wonder, how will you have the strength to go on? How will you make it through this moment? How in the world could everything be right again? It's tough, and it's real life. And I was reading and studying, and I came across a a prayer that Paul prays for the Thessalonians that I think speaks at least from one angle to this, because we could preach a lot of sermons, and you've probably heard better sermons than tonight on this topic, and maybe you yourself have worked through this because you've walked through some type of tragedy. But in this case, it's an interesting story because this is a church that Paul started. They were children to him. It's hard to imagine, I think, for us as Christians today because, you know, Pastor Newby pastored this church for 40 years, so for a lot of people, he would be a spiritual father like this. But for some people, it it would be hard to have a, a similar relationship to what Paul had with these churches. He started them from nothing There were no churches. He would go to these small towns and start in the synagogue with the Jews and then then open and move up to the Gentiles and start a church from nothing. And he would teach them from the ground up what it meant to be Christians. And he would teach them all these things and then he would move on to another church. And there was no FaceTime and there was no Skype and there was no way to communicate short of getting a message from somebody. So in this case, he had heard that the believers 
and, and Thessalonica had gone through some really tough times. And he hears this report from them, and he gets a report through Timothy. And here's how it starts in the book of 1 Thessalonians. It says, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always, you always have a pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? And as you read through that, you see some things. Paul's joy knows no bounds because he's encouraged at their faith. It, in a way, it says right there that he has almost a new lease on life. It's like now he can live because he knows that they're doing well. And it says he couldn't stop thanking God for them. That's a real relationship with somebody. And then he, he prays a prayer for them or tells them about his prayer. And I think that this prayer can apply to us when, when everything in life just blows up in your face and everything seems hopeless. The first thing he says is in the next verse, in verse number 10, he says, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. I want to pull some things out here. It implies that something might have been lacking in their faith, and he as their spiritual father would have been the one to help them with their walk of faith. And what he does, though, I want us to just look at some things. The first thing he talks about is having faith without holes. And I wonder, is there holes in our faith? You find out where the holes are when it's under pressure. That's how it works. And here's some facts about the way he prayed. The first thing he says is he prays day and night. His prayer for them was constant. Here's what I would encourage you. Uh, you're going to pray for things through your whole life, but especially when it's these kind of things, pray constantly. Pray constantly, night and day. You probably can't even have enough prayer in those types of situations, and that's how his prayer was. It was night and day. I wonder if you've ever had this experience. I've only had it a few times, but there's times where I couldn't sleep because I was so concerned about a situation. And I'm not talking about worry where you shouldn't worry. I'm not talking about worry where, where God says, trust me and don't worry. I'm talking about worry where it's God's put it on your heart to worry. And it's, it's a different kind of worry. It's a, it's a pressure and almost a burden that you are supposed to pray for someone. I don't know if you've experienced that before. For me, it's only been a few times. I know people who are prayer warriors who tell me stories about being woken up in the night. And at times they know specifically who to pray for. And they'll pray a prayer and then later hear somebody had a breakthrough at that moment. That's really cool and God does that. I know there have been other times where I've been awake and thought, why am I awake? There's no reason for me to be awake. I didn't drink coffee. I didn't have chocolate. I, I'm not worried about anything, but I'm awake. And I, and I think, God, are you calling me to prayer for somebody? So I just start praying. And at times I feel like it was somebody. At times I'm not sure, but I know I prayed. I want to challenge you to this. If there are times in your life where you're having that kind of experience, ask him. I, for some reason, I kept being reminded of Samuel, and I didn't include any of these scriptures in this, but remember when God was calling to Samuel as a young boy, and he would go to Eli and say, Eli, did you call me? And Eli said, no, I didn't call you. Go to bed. And it happened enough times that Eli said, maybe God is calling you. Next time that happens, say, Lord, here I am. And sometimes we need to do that, even in the middle of the night, because there's times where he's calling us. 
And if you look at Christ's life, the life of Jesus, his life was punctuated, and I believe his ministry was even propelled by the time in prayer. And that's Jesus, the Son of God. And we are obviously no better than him and can rise no further than him. And as you look at scripture in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It dawned on, to me, dawned on me for the first time today. Those places weren't lonely anymore once he started praying. Think about that. What it meant is he went to a solitary place where he wouldn't have interruptions. It wasn't, he wasn't as if he was alone there. The fact is, when he communed with his father, they were there together. And it was a relationship together, which is what we need as well. Something else about Paul's prayers is it was intense. His prayer was intense. When he talks about that, he, he uses the word um, earnestly. And the intensity that's, that's conveyed by that word, it's, it's interesting because in, in the Greek, they use a, uh, an unusual expression that, that means going above and beyond normal measures. When we read that, it's easy to gloss over it, and it says prayed earnestly. Well, I think all of us pray earnestly in the sense that we pray and we mean our prayers. But in that verse, it means more than that. It means more than the English conveys to us. What it means is that he was, he was <laughs> and actually another way to translate it would be he prayed super abundantly, which sounds corny in English. But what it means is it's, it reminded me of this in James, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous person, a righteous man avails much. What's effective prayer? It's fervent prayer. It's intense. It's sincere. It's full of conviction and resolute and vigorous. Let me give you the opposite of that. Weak, shallow, half-hearted. A lot of times we pray because we know we should pray, but a lot of times we're not motivated. Maybe, and maybe it's because the situation we're praying for isn't, doesn't seem as dire. Maybe the reality of it hasn't hit us. We don't pray with the fervency that we should pray. And let me say this. There's times you should pray more fervently than other times. And I believe God would commune and tell you when that would be. We know Jeremiah 29, 13. God says, you, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I've talked to people who said, I'm trying to find God and I just can't find him. And, and I, my heart goes out to them in those circumstances but the thing is, God doesn't play hide and seek. What he's looking for, though, is for us to seek him. And when you seek him, you will find him. Another way to translate that kind of prayer that Paul was praying is, is boiling prayer. When I read that, I kind of chuckled and I thought, it probably doesn't mean that. But it does mean that. And you know how it is when water boils. You, it, it, have you ever watched a pot? You know when you're waiting for something, you're trying to cook something and you want it to boil and it's taking longer than usual. But then when it gets close to that point where it starts to just, you know, the water starts to move on the top and then it starts to break through and roil and boil. Can you see that analogy in your prayer life? Because there's a lot of times we pray, but we only pray up to a certain point. And water boils, I think it's at two, 212 degrees Fahrenheit. And after that, it boils and it keeps boiling. But a lot of times we stop praying before it's that hot. We stop praying before it's that intense because we've done enough and we've prayed. And there is truth to that. I'm not saying that God wants you to pray that way every moment. But there is something about praying to that degree. And having said that, I want to say this. I think I've mentioned this before, but when I was at Bible college, we had a prayer room. And there were times where I felt like I should go to this prayer room and pray. But there were times I wouldn't pray there because there was this one guy in there. I couldn't pray when he was in there. And... 
This is not a criticism per se, but it's just the way he prayed. I couldn't be in the same, I couldn't even be in that same hallway. It was so loud, almost, almost obnoxious. And I wanted sometimes just to say to him, do you feel like you have to pray that way? Because God will answer your prayer. But you know what? That's who he was. He was an intense guy. And I don't know what even what he was praying for. And now looking back, I think I was no friend at all because there may have been something going on that he needed someone to care about and pray with him about. And all I was doing is being annoyed by his loud praying. But it, wasn't, it, was, it was impossible to focus and concentrate next to this dude. My point is this. Sometimes you're going to pray like that. And I've been t- there have been times where I felt the need to pray like that. And for me, maybe because it's that experience and how I felt about that, I would find a total solitary place where no one would be bothered and no one could hear me. On the other hand, there's times where you're going to be praying and it's going to be boiling in your heart and mind and no one's going to even know because they don't need to know. It doesn't have to be loud. It's not about your posture. It doesn't have to be your arms up or your hands down or on your knees or on your face, but sometimes it might. Think about, again, about Samuel. Remember when his mother was praying for him to be to, for even have a child? Remember that story? And Eli thought what? She thought, he thought she was drunk because her lips were moving and no sound was coming out. And the fact is there's times where you're going to pray so intensely and no one around you would even know. I feel like sometimes we get so caught up on the externals and it's not about that. You know, in the, in, the, in the Bible days, they didn't even close their eyes. They just prayed up to heaven. They weren't caught up in that. That's something that we added to Christianity later where there was this thing in Christianity where they got this idea that the body was evil and the spirit was good. And so you had to shut out the evil world and shut your eyes so you could just focus on the spirit of God. And sometimes that helps to just not be distracted. But the fact is, all of nature is God's creation. And none of that needs to be shut out. I think about this too. <clears throat> I think about, um, I heard this, this one preacher talking one day and he was talking about how he was on a plane and he said about how he had just taught on prayer and the proper way to pray and how you need to come to God and he had used, he'd used uh, uh, Psalm 100 and you know, if you read Psalm 100, it talks about coming to his courts with praise and so you enter his presence with praise and thanksgiving and then you confess your sin and there's a certain order to all these things. And he said he was just thinking about how great his sermon was. And he was on this plane, and all of a sudden, they hit some kind of a bizarre air pocket. And the plane dropped like 100 feet. And anybody not buckled, no warning at all, and anybody not buckled is is hitting the ceiling. And he was buckled, but everything went up. And and he said, guess what? I didn't pray that prayer. (laughs) He said, I didn't say, oh, thou most gracious creator. You know what he did? He goes, I just cried out for Jesus like a, like a little child who needed his father. And I just screamed for him. <laughs> That's a fervent prayer in the moment. He's not hung up on all those things. What he wants is for us to reach to him. Something else about Paul's prayer it was really practical. He says, I was praying that I might see you again. Isn't that interesting? He's praying day and night that he can be reunited with them. It's very practical. A lot of times we forget to pray for the everyday things. Salesmen praying for their meetings and doctors for their patients and teachers for their students and office workers for your boss and your other workers. And nothing's too small to bring to God's attention. If it's important, it's important to him. If it's important to you, it's important to him. Now, having said that, 
we used to tease my mom because when my dad was in the Navy and gone, there were three kids. Now, at one point, there was just two of us, and 10 years later, there were three. But we used to tease her because we would pull into the parking lot at the commissary. Dan, you probably had these experiences. She would pray for a parking place up front. And we, years later, we would tease her like, Mom, what about the other moms that needed a close spot? And she would just laugh, and she said, I just needed it that day. I was at my wit's end, and my husband's gone, and I don't know what to do, and I, there's no one to talk to, and I needed that parking place. And I can tell you, many, many times, it would open up, and she would just say, thank you, Jesus. I remember once we were driving to church on a Sunday night, and um, the car we were driving, it died. It just died on the side of the road, and we drifted over to the side of the road, and she didn't know what to do, and she just started praying, God, help this car to start. You know, and somebody stopped, and you know, that can be scary sometimes, and the guy starts walking up, and she says, Jesus, let it start now, and she turns the key, and it starts, and we drive off. There's nothing too small. Don't neglect those prayers. He wants you to pray, and they're practical prayers. Think about what you need. Think about the finances and the grace, and, and Maggie, I was thinking of your prayer list. I'm not going to tell your story, but Maggie has a prayer list. I have a prayer list. And, and I revived my prayer list because of talking to Maggie about it. And there's people on my prayer list that I wouldn't be praying for on a regular basis if I wasn't reminded to by that list. I have cousins, I have aunts and uncles, I have people in my life who need me to be praying for them, but a lot of times I forget about it. And a lot of times it's very practical things they need. Paul's prayer was purposeful. It had very specific and it was purposeful. He had, a, he had goals in mind. He was praying that that, that he, God would help, he would come and supply what they needed. The word that they're using, that word, we use supply, but that word means to mend or to fill in or to equip. It's the same word they would use if you were mending your nets. Think about the imagery that Paul is using there. You know, it's one thing about English compared to Greek and some other languages. It's just Greek has got, it's, it's more full in its meaning. For us in English, we just gloss over these words and We've got all these words that mean the same thing, but in Greek, a lot of times, there's more meaning to the, to the language. It's actually the same word that Paul uses in Galatians 6.1, where he talks about restoring uh, saints who had fallen into sin. He says, be careful, brothers, to not judge them too harshly, but to restore them. It's the same word, to supply them, to mend their nets. It's the same word he uses in Ephesians chapter 4 where he says that, that pastors and teachers and evangelists and apostles have been given to the church to equip the saints for service. That word equip is the same word. Now that adds fullness to it, doesn't it? You're supposed to pray that for each other, that you would fill in the things that they need. So what do they need? You know what they need. I, I remember as a kid, and I, I think it was God honored these prayers because he's a good God and he makes allowances for us or immaturity and stupidity. But I distinctly remember growing up praying for people, whether it was family or whoever, and I would pray this prayer, literally. God, be with my mom and be with my dad and be with my sister. And I look back and think, what did that even mean? It meant something. And he knew my heart and he would fulfill that prayer. I, know, I have no doubt. But I knew what they needed. I knew what they needed. I could have prayed very purposeful and specific for what they needed. I could have been praying prayers that literally equipped and filled in their needs. 
Whether that was a need of faith or, or if that was a need for patience in a certain situation, whether it was need for, for, um, for finances or strength. I could have been praying really specifically. And the thing is, you know people who have very specific needs and you can pray for those needs that way. That's how Paul did it. We look at verse 12. He says in his prayer, he says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. He literally prays for their, their love to be without limits. That overflowing means that it's limitless and there's no way to contain it. He prays for them to have that kind of love. And he says that's the kind of love he has for them, but he wants them to have that kind of love. I think it's interesting and important to understand that this is a uniquely Christian concept, love, like this. I was uh, talking to some students today, and we were talking specifically about some of the differences between Christianity and other faiths. The fact is, Christianity is a faith that goes against all human nature. Who prays for love? I mean, this kind of love. This is not the selfish kind of love that you, you give to get, or it's, it's not the eros kind of love, which is more romantic. It's not brotherly love. It's not that. This is a unselfish, totally giving love. You know what kind of love this is? This is the kind of love that conquered the Roman Empire with no armies, with no power, but with love. It's the kind of love that reordered incredible um, in, in entire societies where they said, we're going to care about the poor and we're going to care about the orphan and we're going to love them and give beyond what we have and take them in and love them. This is the kind of love that breaks down the barriers that people have put up against Christianity or against your relationship with them because you love them, because you serve them, because you go beyond what's normal and you do what's, what's hard to believe that anybody would do because of love. That's the kind of love Paul is praying for them. It's the kind of love, what did Jesus say? How will, how will people know that we're his disciples? By our love. What did Jesus pray for in his, the real Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17? He prays for unity, and he says that unity is what will save the world, and that unity only exists by love. You can only have unity if you really love people and you're willing to lay down what you want and want what they want for them. That's love. That's a love that's not easy. It takes risk. It takes faith, and Paul prays for that. We just come through a tumultuous uh, political season, and it's not getting any different. I mean, if you pay attention to the news or politics, it's the same way. And you hear people ask, what's the solution to the world's problems? Is it ever going to be politics? Nope. Won't be legal. It won't be any of those things. It'll be love. It'll be God's love. We're all sinners in desperate need of a Savior and a Savior that brings love that covers all of our sin and unites people. It's easy to like people who like us, isn't it? You know how that is. You're gra you gravitate toward them because they like you. They smile at you. They laugh at your jokes. They, they ask you about your life. They're interested in you, right? How do you do that with people who you don't love or don't like? It's all love. And sometimes we need to pray for that love because it's hard to manufacture it. You can't, you can't manufacture it from inside you. It doesn't work that way. It won't come from within you if it's not in there already. The fact is you need to... Love is something that has to come from him. Let me go to the, the next one. He says, may, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord our Jesus, um, when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. What he's saying here is he wants them to be strengthened and blameless with no faults. It's strength without flaws. 
I alluded to this earlier, but all of us know the, the, uh, the trauma and the danger of having a foundation that's cracked, right? Or a wall that's cracked. And any pressure is going to show a leak and destroy it. Pressure reveals the weak spots. What he's talking about here is having a relationship that doesn't have any of that. When you're put under pressure, what comes out? What comes out is what's in you. And if what's in you is fear and anger and selfishness and greed and lust, that's what's going to come out. On the other hand, if what's in you is grace and faith and mercy and forgiveness and love and kindness, then that's what's going to come out. Let me just say this. Trials of life expose what's in your heart. It just does. That's why Paul was praying this over them, because they were in serious trials as a people and as a church. And what did he want it is what, for what to come out of them was what God had put in them. He wanted the good things to come out. It's just like us today. The fact is that it's always going to be there, and God wants that for us. So what do you do with all of this? I just want you to pray. That's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that prayer that Paul prayed over the Thessalonians, over everybody you know. And over your own self. I want you to pray. I want you to pray often and pray with that intensity. Pray that way. As I was thinking about this today, it dawned on me again. And I, I don't remember who wrote this. If it was, it might have been Mark Batterson in his um, Circle Maker Prayer book. I don't know. But if you think about it, where you are today is no doubt because of somebody's prayer, either your own or somebody for you. I mean, nothing happens in life effectively in the kingdom without that. I mean, the fact is somebody has been praying for you and you've been praying for somebody. And a lot of us live off the bounty of answered prayers that were the result of somebody else's caring for us at some point in our life. <laughs> Sometimes it worries me what's not being done in the world because I haven't been praying for it. I want to be praying. Think about this. God's not offended by your bold prayers. Your bold prayers tell him how great he is, and he will answer those. If anything, he's offended by the fact that we don't pray bold prayers. Somebody's praying for you, and you came to Christ, or you got a job, or you were healed, or you were rescued, or you were saved, your marriage was saved, or temptation, you were avoiding temptation. You didn't give up. You made the right decision. Somebody prayed, and those things happened. I told this, I mentioned this a few months ago, but when I was with my mom when we were visiting my dad in the hospital uh, uh, two years ago, I think it was, we got into the uh, elevator and there was this guy standing there and he looked, he, he just looked like his whole world had fallen apart. You're in a hospital. Chances are it had. And here's my mom putting her husband in the hospital. He's clearly not, he, at this point, he wasn't speaking, he wasn't responding, we didn't know what was going on, and it turns out he just, Alzheimer's had just gone into high gear because of the anesthesia they'd given him in, a, in an emergency surgery. And I'm standing there, talking to my mom, and she looks at this man and she says, are you here for somebody? Is there somebody in your life that's in the hospital here? And I just, I felt so humbled and challenged at the same time, because she's caring about this guy. We didn't know him. Not that we shouldn't care, it's just we didn't know him. We, we, we're on the way down from seeing my dad, and she's talking to him, and he says, yes. And he tells us his story. And then she says, can we pray for you? And we pray for him. <laughs> I thought, why don't we do that more often? Why don't we do that for everybody around us? And then I mentioned that, that Rob and I had gone to the hospital today, and I'll close with this, but we, we go to Children's Mercy. We knew that, that uh, Stephen, they're saying he has no brain activity at all. And um, 
didn't know who of the family would be there. And I know that a lot of you probably don't know Sandra. She's, she's a little old. I think she's close to 80. She sits way over there in the corner. Uh, Bobby Pilcher lives near her, so they ride to church together. She's the great-grandma. It was just her today, and then Stephen's twin sister, Shelby, was there when we got there. And when we got there, you know, we're in the waiting room at Children's. You guys have been to Children's a ton, you know, and if you, if you haven't been there, it's a sad place to go. Because people there have serious life issues, and kids are sick, and it's sad. We walk in, and they are with a bunch of family, which I just assumed was some of their family I didn't know. I didn't know who they were, because I don't know her whole family. And as we walked up, Sandra said, Pastor Dennis, these people need you. And then she grabbed Rob's arm and walked a few chairs away. And what it was is this family, um, they'd been there for five months with a, a newborn whose heart, he only had a half a heart, and they've been doing surgery after surgery after surgery, and they just found out that they're going to give him two more days, and that's it. And yeah, they needed prayer. They needed somebody to fervently pray with them, and here's Sandra in the middle of her deep need, who knows that her great-grandson is going to be giving life now to a bunch of other families, had been ministering to this family. And so we sat there, and I heard their whole story. We talked. The dad came in. He had been in there with the son, heard his story. We prayed together. And I just thought, that's how it should be, that we fervently pray and reach out for people all around us. So here's what I'd like to do. David, if you could just put some music on. I know that you, you all have things to pray for, and we've prayed for some serious issues here tonight already. But I just want to encourage you to pray. And believe me, I'm not asking you to fervently pray here tonight necessarily. But you're welcome to. You're always welcome to. If you want to be loud, you can be loud. I'll probably pray not near you, but that's okay. That's okay. You can pray that way. If that's how you want to pray, that's fine. But um, And if you feel like this is something that you need to think about and pray about and ask God what he wants you to do and how he wants you to pray, I just want to encourage you to do this. Pray fervently, repeatedly. Pray in unity. Pray for things specifically. Ask God to give them more faith and fill in the holes that people need. Ask God to equip them for what they need to, to deal with whatever struggle they're up against. Ask God to increase their love beyond what could even be imagined. And let's just pray for some of these needs.